organizations that that might want some form of protection or another well this bill like um, we just said applies to all property which you know in terms of the bill isn't just limited to land Hmm. um, which can be expropriated if you know the state deems it to be in the public interest or for a public purpose and for us I don't believe that the religious sector should be given special attention I mean obviously this is our you know focus point is religious freedom and I'm sure other organizations might have other focus points and raise arguments for it but we believe that the religious sector should be given special protection um, because you know they're the holders of actual fundamental rights in the in the Bill of Rights in our Constitution you've got the right to religious freedom in section 15 which includes the right to not only believe in your heart what you choose to believe but also to live that belief out and to manifest it for example by corporate worship Mm. Um, and then you also have the right of religious communities to um, practice their religion together that's protected in section 31 so you actually have two fundamental constitutional rights that could be affected um, you know by this bill so definitely um, you know, be given special protection to ensure that these rights are protected. And this is one of the things we asked Parliament for, that a clause containing land which is exempt from being expropriated without compensation be inserted, and we propose that land that is used in connection with the exercise of the constitutional rights to religious freedom and the rights of religious communities be exempted. Okay, so our constitution obviously already protects property rights and religious freedom rights um you know it's written in there mm. um so is this something which will achieve its purpose or will it face challenges in court uh, and and how does that how does that work out mm. um to be honest with you um the bill does not take into account religious freedom rights um it doesn't even mention them at mm. all um so it really doesn't take them into account at all. And it may likely face challenges in court um, because listeners might not be aware um, or may be aware, but there's a distinct and parallel process happening in front of Parliament to amend Section 25 of the Constitution to allow for expropriation without compensation. Because at the moment, the Constitution says, you know, you can expropriate land, you know, um, subject to certain conditions, Um, one of which is just and equitable um, or just and fair compensation. And so does just and fair mean that, you know, it's it's zero rand for land, um, zero compensation. So the Constitution hasn't been amended yet to explicitly provide for expropriation without compensation. And so this bill really is trying to incorporate... um, expropriation without compensation without the Constitution having been amended to allow it. It really is trying to put the cart before the horse, if I can use that expression. So, amongst other things, um, for us, they really urged Parliament to approach the Constitutional Court, um, you know, to ask for whether, you know, expropriation without compensation would be just an equitable payment in terms of the Constitution, um, you know, if it's something that's even constitutional. Mm. How does How does this... How does this roll out? Uh, uh, what will be the next steps in taking the matter forward? So the next step is that after it's received all the submissions, um, which I want to point out for any listeners who might be interested, um, Parliament has extended the deadline for submissions for the public to give their comments or, um, until the end of the month. It's Sunday the 28th of February. Um, and we really urge listeners to use their 
democratic rights to um, be involved and give their input on the laws that are made in this country and, um, you know, give their opinion on this bill. Um, so once Parliament has received all the submissions from um, the public who have given comments, they will have to work through it and amend the bill as they deem fit. Um, now, the bill is currently still in the first House of Parliament, the National Assembly, in front of a committee there. And once that committee has finished with the bill, they'll send it to the second House of Parliament, the National Council of Provinces, where um, the process will be repeated there in front of another committee. And only once um, the bill has been adopted by both Houses of Parliament will it be sent to the President for assent, in other words, to sign it into law. So that's the, that's the road that's still in front of this bill. Yeah, that sounds like an incredibly long process. Mm-hmm. How, how long does those kinds of things normally take? Well, it depends on, um, I think, the importance um, and emphasis that the government gives to, you know, a bill, because it can sit there for, you know, the whole duration of parliament for five years, Mm. um, or it can go through very quickly. Um, So that is something to keep in mind, is that, you know, we've seen some bills that have really gone through parliament very quickly, just because essentially it, it seems as if marching orders again that this thing needs to be finished quickly. So. Sure. So, so I mean, I, I watch the news like I'm sure most of our, our listeners do and, and kind of read newspapers and things like that. I, I can see that this is a hot-button issue in the media. Like, there's mm-hmm. a lot of heat around this. Um, but what's your sense? Is, is there political will uh, to move this forward quickly? I mean, it does seem that we've been talking about this for a couple of years now. And uh, and kind of like COVID has hit, and 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 uh, mm. ma- maybe a little bit of uh, a, a, a foot has been taken off the pedal a bit. Um, but is there political will to push this forward? Uh, is it is it happening? Well, it's definitely in front of Parliament, so it's definitely <laughs> happening. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, the question is the pace. Um, yes. Yeah, I'm not sure I can advise on that. Okay. Um, so I would definitely, you know, recommend to listeners that they pop onto the 4SA website and, you know, find out how they can get involved and make submissions. Um, Parliament has really tried to make it easy because mm. listeners, um, you know, may be aware that the, there was a previous expropriation bill in front of Parliament that went all the way to the president. And mm. he couldn't sign it because, you know, not a significant enough portion of the public had gotten involved and given comments. Mm. So this is the second time around they're trying to do this. So Parliament has made it really easy. There's a WhatsApp number that listeners can use to give their input on. There's, um, you know, like an online form they can fill in to give in their, their, um, their submissions. So we will be publishing an article on it on our website um, at www.forsa.org.za with the various ways listeners can give the input. And so I would really, you know, advise people to take a look and think about, you know, what they have to say about this bill because it's going to have very wide and far-reaching consequences. Um, I mean, if one just only thinks about the fact that property isn't just limited to land. Mm, mm. Daniela, I, I, you've already given like a whole lot of ways that people can get involved, uh, mm. contacting government, and uh, you have already mentioned your website, but I, I really have found you guys a helpful source of information in order to get kind of like the lay of the land or the hot button issues uh, in Parliament. So maybe just uh, once again, uh, how can people stay informed? How can people connect with you guys uh, as an organization uh, just so that it's uh, in the listeners' minds? Oh, no, that would be wonderful. Um, 
So definitely our website um, is a great resource. We really try and keep it give accurate, um, useful information on it, Mark. So thank you so much for the feedback um, that you have found it useful. That is amazing to hear. Um, it's www.forsa.org.za. Um, and listeners there can also sign up for a newsletter, um, which we send out um, once every three or four months. And um, they can also join the organization, which allows us to speak on their behalf to Parliament. Um, and then, of course, they can also make a donation on the website. And for those who are on social media, they can follow our Facebook page at Freedom of Religion SA. Well, thank you once again for coming on today. It was uh, great to talk to you. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to hearing again from 4SA next week. Thanks very much. Thank you for the pleasure. Yep. Enjoy your day. Bye. You too. Bye. Well, listeners, um, again, you are invited to the conversation. Uh, as we speak, you are invited to send through questions or comments that you might have. Mm. I, I've got a question. I got a question for you guys. Um, if you are listening in, uh, here's a, a quick survey. Um, how have you or your local church responded practically, um, or how have you been practically served? Um, uh, or how have needs arisen since the lockdown began? Can you believe the lockdown began 322 days ago? Mm. How have you responded uh, in terms of taking care of the needs of others or how have others taken care of your needs? Uh, I'd be interested to hear those, uh, those testimonies um, or examples of how the church has either ministered to you or you've ministered in the context of the local church. Have you had food parcels delivered or delivered food parcels have you had groceries delivered or oh. delivered groceries have you paid for a friend's rent have you paid for their transport to and from hospital have you have you been involved in a telephone ministry and phoned the aged or the housebound um how have you responded practically oh. or how have you been practically served since needs have arisen uh, through lockdown 322 days ago. You you can interact with us by dropping a comment on Facebook or on Twitter. Uh, you can send WhatsApps to 082-657-2729 uh, or on Telegram uh, and you can phone in uh, 012-334-1322. Uh, this is Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit uh, Table Talk with uh, with me, Mark. And mm. again, joined by Tepo in studio today. Tepo is with me at Crystal Park Baptist Church. Mm. Uh, he assists me in absolutely every way. <laughs> I think last week you said that there's nothing that I do that you don't do, and that's pretty true. I mean, uh, yeah, I think yeah. Uh, it was either last week or the week before that you were preaching for a couple of weeks. Uh, yeah. I really enjoyed that as you were taking us through 1 John. Um, and... Uh, yeah, we pretty much spend every day together um, at the church office. Yeah. But today we are also joined by David Brown from JAM. Um, let me just tell you about David. David has spent the last 12 years in the MPO sector after starting his career as an industrial engineer and then building a consultancy practice with an emphasis on growth strategies operating in Western and Eastern Europe, uh, the Middle East and Africa. Um, he is also a long-term member of Midrand Chapel, and that was my 
Sending Church, uh, Midrand Chapel. They they sent me to Crystal Park as mm. a missionary uh, ten years ago. Uh, he is the husband of one wife, which is great because he's qualified to be an elder, <laughs> and he is an elder uh, at uh, Midrand, uh, going on for forty five years. He has three children, six grandchildren. And what he didn't say in his short bio that he sent through to me today is that we have been friends for at least nine years mm. um, as Dave has mentored me and uh, and helped me as I grew, as I first came to faith and then began to grow uh, in the Christian faith. Uh, Dave was very instrumental in discipling me. Dave, are you on the line with us, brother? Yes, I am. Ah, it's good to have you. It's good to Good morning to you. Yeah. Hey, and I also didn't mention we've been on holiday a number of times together. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I wasn't, I wasn't sure if you were going to admit to that. So. <laughs> but, but I heard a very biased shout-out earlier. A very oh, biased shout-out to the East Rand. Rand. <laughs> so I'm in the Midrand, and I will extend my shout-out to Midrand <laughs> and to every other part of the country. Well, just <laughs> like that, you showered love on everyone else and made me look bad. I can't believe it. Uh, very, very disappointing. <laughs> well, it's it's good to have you on today, Dave. We, we, we're going to no, talk, ab- talk about an area that uh, that you are certainly very involved with. Um, and have a deep love for uh, Mercy Ministry as long as I've known you uh, and the church's response to this broken world um, and and then also you know just having Teppo sitting next to me Teppo's been instrumental in driving Mercy Ministry in the context of Crystal Park Baptist Church and so um, yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to us having a practical discussion uh, which will be aimed both at the listeners so Christians folk who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior and are now looking to to really um, serve God in whatever ways they can and now are hearing of these commands to love your neighbor and are wondering about who that is and what that <laughs> love might look like. Um, but also just in the context of local churches, what would ministry, what would mercy ministry look like in the context of local churches maybe guys we should start off by just talking about the word mercy Mm. and the word mercy ministry and and just talk what are we talking about in general and Seppel maybe you can kick us off and then we'll pass us over to to Dave Uh, when when we talk about mercy ministry what are we talking about so um, well I'm I'm just thinking about um, Jesus and obviously I'm thinking about Jesus but when when it comes to mercy the first word that comes to mind is compassion and just being compassionate to um, to others and so when you talk about mercy ministry um, I'll just give you uh, uh, an overview or just a bird's eye view on what we do um, at Crystal Park for mercy ministry is that there are people in in the area who would come who who let's say well who may not have food to eat who may not have um work and so they'll just knock on the gate and we 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 provide them and we have Dave on the line who is who is our supplier for the porridge that we give them so that's uh, us showing them mercy and that is basically the part of mercy ministry that we are involved in and so I could go on and we can talk about how else we show mercy to our members um, I don't know if you want me to go on now well well even before we rush in terms of what mercy yeah. looks like 
what does the word mercy actually mean biblically yeah. what, what are we talking about when we talk yeah. about mercy okay so so let me think of um just thinking about the the story of the good samaritan <laughs> so yeah. let me let me just read it here quickly that is uh luke 10 so the the an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus, right? Saying, "Teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of the eternal life?" And then, um, what is written in the law? Jesus asked, and then he read it. So he answered, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself." Verse twenty-eight says, "This you've answered correctly." He told him, Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? <laughs> Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, living, uh, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, on his journey, came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. And there's that word. He had compassion. And he went over to him and bandaged his wounds, poured on olive oil and wine. Then he put, he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him the next day he took out two denarii gave them to the innkeeper and said take care of him when i come back i'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend and so jesus asked the question which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into his hands or into the hands of the robbers then listen to this the one who showed mercy on him he said and so that's that's the context in which the bible talks of mercy so there's compassion that is poured out and especially and if if you look at this story um the the man who helped this man they were complete strangers they didn't even know each other from above so so there's compassion um, that is shown to somebody who is in need right at that specific moment and we we don't know the specifics of this man's um, situation if he was poor or not but what we do know is he was half dead and he was in need of help and so compassion mercy was poured out on him by somebody who didn't know him Hmm. So, mercy. I mean, when when I think of the biblical mercy uh, word for mercy, I, I'm, yeah. I'm more often than not thinking of it in a soteriological sense, which yeah. is a a big word for salvation. Yeah. I, I'm I'm thinking of it in terms of salvation, and I, I'm thinking of it in terms of God withholding his um, his just. His justice against mm -hmm. a, a sinner, God, mm -hmm. God withholds it even even for a moment, 
as an act of mercy mm-hmm. um, and, and then the presentation of Christ the the free offer of salvation and, and then grace being lavished upon a person uh, the, the difference between mercy and grace in that context being God withholding that which yeah. we do deserve is mercy and grace God giving that which we do not deserve and mm. um, being grace when we talk about mercy ministry though we're actually using the word mercy in a, in a different sense right we, mm-hmm. we're using it in the sense of compassion yeah um, it is it's it's the heart of Christ that we see over and over again in the Gospels hey Dave can I bring you in here brother and uh, and maybe just yeah. just say when, when we talk about mercy ministry and when we talk about uh, mercy in general in a in a biblical sense what what are some of the principles and some of the concepts that come to mind yeah, I think really useful, Mark, how you've separated the mercy of, and I, I think there's an overlap, but the mercy that we were shown, mm. that we were, I mean, that, that Jesus died for us, that's incredible mercy. Um, it's something undeserved. Mm. Um, we we do, have done nothing to deserve it. But I think there's this other aspect of mercy, and that is what God commands us to do and how to practice for one another. And to me, there's almost circles of mercy. Uh, the, the kind of first circle is within my immediate family, friends, etc. And that also extends to the church where I worship, so the members of that church. Then there's the next circle of people in the community surrounded by that church, and then there's into the broader community as well. Huh. And, you know, many cases, I think there's a similarity in that the mercy we need to show, or the compassion, as Stephen said, you know, the compassion we need to show. Those people haven't deserved it. They mm. really haven't done mm. nothing to deserve it. But we have a, what can I call it, and responsibility and obligation to actually do that as Christians, as believers. You know, and I, I always find a really good verses for this is Matthew, Matthew so Matthew 25, and then read yeah. from there. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, Oh. And you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. Oh. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then he goes on. He says, "Right." Wow. Uh, it looks like we we may have lost David mid stride there um, we will make every effort to get him back and, but, oh, uh, and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you and what's the response the king will answer them truly I say to you as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers mm. you did it to me mm. Mm. Dave we, so, we, we did we, we lost you for a we lost you for a uh, a, a little while there, but but maybe just for the listeners' benefit, um, Dave was reading from Matthew uh, chapter 25. twenty-five, and he read from verse thirty-four 
uh, 3 to verse 40 which is really an account of judgment and a separation a separation mm. of the <laughs> sheep and the goats um, and the king uh, saying at that last judgment um, come and you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the ba- foundation of the world mm. and then describing that that folk have ha, had taken care of his hunger and his thirst and uh, had taken him in and and clothed him and taken care of him mm. and the righteous answer and say well well when did that happen <laughs> uh, well, you know when did we feed you when, when mm. did we give you something to drink when did we take you in when did we clothe you um, and the answer being truly I tell you whenever you did whatever you did for the the least of these brothers and sisters of mine you did for me mm. uh, sorry Dave just to catch the listeners up in terms of the break but uh, uh, back yeah. to you yeah sure uh, sorry about that I didn't realize that you'd lost me so I think that very very clearly shows what we as believers should be doing yes well so, I mean, let's just go back a little bit and just talk through those concentric um, circles mm. that you spoke about, because because I'm 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 really interested, and and it does give us a a, a very nice clear yeah. um, mechanism for think, for thinking through both our obligations to mercy ministry or our obligations to love our neighbour even as we love ourselves, um, as well as you know mechanisms for decision making when it comes mm. to these kinds of things. Uh, I'm reminded of 1 Timothy chapter 5 uh, verse 8 which really speaks to that first circle that you spoke to um, Dave uh, of family where yeah. it says if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially members of his household he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I mean, that, that's like that's like heavy language, right? So, I mean, you, you've denied the faith if you don't take care of your immediate family. Uh, and I, I'm guessing, in terms of that, um, in terms of that first circle, that would be uh, parents to children. Hmm. It would be children to parents. Uh, we have an obligation, um, a command, that we are to take care of those who are in our immediate proximity mm. in, in a peculiar way. Is, is that what I understood by those concentric circles that you're talking about? Seppo, maybe you want to pick this up for a while. And what yeah. would that practically look like? So, um, yeah. So remember, even I even... I even wrote this out because I had to study it, right? Um, just after my sister lost her husband. Mm. So I was looking at, at practically what would that look like for me. Yes. So I went and I studied that text and just looking at what are the boundaries and especially um, as as a man who is married in another... Well, so now my immediate family is... Um, my household right Mm. and so what is what does help look like in that case and so yeah um i think when it comes to those concentric circles uh like people in need people who who may be uh destitute um in your in your immediate family will take priority over other things right like let's say for instance if there's another need elsewhere i think priority wise you weighed against what well biblically according to those concentric circles uh where would you um put your effort in at that moment and so 
Yeah. So, but but there comes times. But we'll talk. We'll talk about that. Um, about the outer circle and outer outer of the outer circle. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, let me get this straight. You you you've even spoken about a a, a personal uh, example from yeah. your from your own life. But but what we're saying here is that a Christian mm-hmm. who's placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ then yeah. begins to conform their entire life to God's standard. Um, you know, uh, listening to what Dave was saying, he was reading from Matthew chapter twenty-five, mm-hmm. and he was saying that 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 our salvation issues forth in fruit, right? Yeah. It, it affects what we do. It affects yeah. our lives, and, and and so as a result, even our works bear testimony <laughs> to uh, our faith and our trust in Christ, if it's true or not. Yeah. And one of the things that Paul seems to be doing here in one Timothy chapter five. Is saying that one of the obligations mm. of this new life that we have in Christ is that we are obligated to take care of the people in our immediate care, mm. um, and, and that looks like something. It, it, it means that we that, that it changes yeah. our our budget, <laughs> it changes yeah. our checkbook, it makes sure that we align. Um, how we spend mm. uh, according to the obligations which Christ has brought into our lives, which God has sovereignly brought into our lives, whether mm. that be children, whether that be parents, mm. um, and whether that be a, a, a sister. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it must be really difficult working through that. But but I'm guessing even in the family context, um, there are concentric circles of family, yes. right? Yeah. And, and, and things <laughs> move out. I mean, yeah. does that make sense? Yes, it does, yeah. So... So then if we kind of like peeling the onion layer, Dave spoke first about um, families, uh, and I think we've got him back on the telephone uh, line now. But Dave, you, you spoke first about, about a family, uh, and then you spoke about the members of our church community, that as Christians we, we bear something. Our, our faith and our trust changes that this relationship that we have, this unity that we have, this community that we have, um, commune that we have with the people um, in our church family. Uh, m- maybe just flesh that out a little bit, Dave. What does that actually practically look yeah. like? Okay, well, let me, let me maybe, in looking at those concentric circles, um, to me, it's not like we have to complete the first circle before we move out to the next circle. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because we can't say everything must just go to that first circle or the second or the or the third. Mm. We need to, because it's not only me who's giving, it's my family. So, you know, I, I have an incredible story of somebody who has supported our ministry for some time and feeding children. Their children who are in primary school choose to eat their breakfast every morning out of the iconic red bowl that we use to feed children all over Africa. And the reason they do that is it's a reminder to them that there are so many in need. So they as children are also sacrificing. They give of their pocket money of themselves, they collect at their school, etc., because they have a heart for others. Mm. So going beyond themselves, they're sacrificing. Mm. So in order for me to move from one circle to the next, if I can put it, I'm going to sacrifice in order to exercise mercy for mm. somebody else. Mm. Mm. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, sure. You know, it's not like 
complete a circle before we move out. Yeah. What are, what are some of the practical needs that exist within the context of a local church? I mean, in the context, and, and how are those need and how should those needs be brought forward or, or highlighted? How can they be taken care of? I'm interested to know how you guys do it at Midrand Chapel, Dave, um, and then Tsepo, um how so, things happen at uh, Crystal Park Baptist Church. Uh, okay, well, if I can start with at Midrand Chapel, so... We have a, a compassionate ministry, and the priority of that is the members of the church. Mm. So we focus on the needs. Now, for example, in COVID, the people have been unemployed. We've looked to provide food parcels or food in some way. We've looked to provide other help that we can give to members of the church as they uh, experience temporary circumstances but we do that in a way that it's not continually a handout. So we want mm. to help people with getting, for example, their CVs right. Um, how are they going to apply for employment, uh, etc. We want to do more than just the handout. We've been really surprised during this time at the low level of, of requests for help from our members. And we mm. know that many members are suffering. Mm. But they have not helped, but they've been helping each other, even yeah. though it might not be through the church. Mm. Mm. Very interesting. Uh, Temple Crystal Park Baptist Church, how have we been uh, responding to the needs? And, and, how, and how are needs made known in the mm. context of the local church? And, and, and just in terms of that, 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 those kind of peeling back the onion layers, we've, yeah. we've moved from, from immediate family to, to local church members. Mm-hmm. So... Well, like like Dave said, the um, priority lies in the church, in the in the members first, and so same 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 thing with us at Crystal Park Baptist Church, and just with 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 um, the current situation, when COVID first hit, um, we realized that a lot of people had gone out of jobs, um, so we contacted them privately. And we asked if anybody does have need that they should contact the uh, the church line, and so all of that was done um, in private. And I think to date, people don't know who who actually got helped. Uh, so we we started about uh, about twenty families, and like like what has been most encouraging to me is these same people. Whenever situations got better because uh, restrictions got eased and people could get back to work, mm. they would request to be taken off the list because God had provided for them. Mm. And so um, I, I like the fact that um, David also said uh, this is not to continuously help people because Honestly, my my take on that to continuously help people is actually not helping them. It's basically making them become dependent on you or on the church. Um, so what would then happen when you can't help them anymore? So what what you help them with is you help them to to get back on their feet and to be able to provide for themselves again. And so that's what I think true compassionate uh, compassion is about, mm. to help them in the current need, uh, but to get out of the current need. Mm. Yeah. Maybe just to offer two more examples that, that maybe kind of aren't 
aren't because they're not controlled by the church you, yeah. you, 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 we tend to <coughs> overlook them but one of the things that I've seen people doing is of their own free will mm. um, buying groceries um, for folk in the church and either yeah. having them delivered by, I don't know, I don't yeah. buy groceries online, but Liesl does, uh, pick and pay online or uh, Willie's or, you know, whatever it might be, or, or, or taking a, a bag of groceries over to a family that is either grieving loss or is mm. sick and struggling. Um, I've seen that happen more and more in the context of the local church, and that happens relationally because a person knows someone they know that they're ill they know that they're in need um, mm-hmm. and so they respond out of their own heart that has greatly encouraged me as a mm. pastor that it didn't need to be programmatized yeah. um, by the church that, that, that's one thing that I've been greatly encouraged by and then and then uh, we mustn't discount the mechanism of mercy that that I think m- many churches would engage in, and that's um, particularly at a time of bereavement, a, a time of difficulty, mm. um, how the church often rallies around and uh, comes and supports with meals, um, with love, with mm. care, uh, with prayer, with time, um, however that might be. I, I've, I've really enjoyed seeing, um, even in the midst of, you know, the lockdown crisis how people have tried to figure out how they can mm. um, appropriately get um, um, means to folk uh, in their hours of need mm. um, and then especially over lockdown I have enjoyed hearing testimony when I phoned uh, you know an older member of the church yeah. and said you know how are you doing um, I haven't heard from you for a while or I, I haven't you know, spoken to you for a while. Um, how I've heard how many people have been in contact with them. Um, mm. Almost a, an intentional, spontaneous outpouring of, of mercy to those who are really struggling at the moment and, and maybe not in a way that we would traditionally see, kind of like um, uh, food um, uh, or, or, or finance, mm. um, but, but a mercy of time um, yeah. a, a, and love and care has become very important over this period that we've gone through. I mean, 322 days of craziness, uh, lockdown. Who would have seen this coming or prepared us for it? Mm. Um, and yet the church has responded in, in diverse ways um, of ex- and expressions of love. We, we, we've spoken. Yeah, Mark, yeah, sure. Yeah, Dave. Mark, can I, can I just respond to that? Because the other thing that we saw at Midrand Chapel, as we were um, reaching out to others in the church, and we started reaching out to others in the community, mm. we also found that the members of the church rallied around things like that. Mm. So, for example, that initial, if you remember back how many days ago was it, there was an initial shortage of masks yes. for mm. people to be able to protect themselves. And so my wife, Heather, together with some other ladies in our church, started a mask project. Mm. And they found fabric wherever they could. They'd gone into their sewing machines. They were sewing all day, almost practically day after day, and made thousands and thousands of masks Mm. to distribute into our nearby communities. (laughs) 
I'm actually you're not on <laughs> Skype anymore. I think you dialed in right now, Dave. I, I'm just holding up yeah. a mask. Um, um, I, the the folk at our church got wind of what you guys were doing at your church, and um, uh, one of the ladies, Sharon, also um, you know put together a whole lot of masks so mm. that uh, people who came to Crystal Park Baptist Church uh, members were able to. Uh, in fact, <laughs> Tepo's got his uh, got his mask as well. Um, yeah, ha- ha- had masks. Um, uh, that was that was one of the very first responses mm. uh, to lockdown. Uh, was just to make sure that people had what they needed yeah. in order to carry on with life. Yeah, mm. you're right. And with that, we also handed out some basic food necessities. Plus, we managed to connect with people who had real needs within the community mm. and then figure a way of reaching those. We then extended that to reaching the local schools. When mm. the schools did reopen for even just a short time, the Mars Project moved into a back-to-school pack. Mm. which included sanitizers and masks and various school requirements as well, and was a real opportunity to minister to the children at one of the local schools as well, or at a few of the local schools. And really having the point I was making right at the beginning is having members of the church working in projects like that actually improved, if you like, the mercy ministry toward each other as Mm. well. Mm. And we, you're right to what you were saying earlier, Crystal Park. We also experienced, I think, a great degree of connectedness, even mm. though we were in lockdown. People were communicating with each other. Um, our own Bible study had greater attendance than ever, even though it was on Zoom. And mm. people connected far more um, than we had actually seen previously. So. Yeah, there were even opportunities in that, in it. But you know, that's another that's another whole issue. Well, look, I I mean, just this this idea of community and connectiveness. Um, I I do think that uh, the initial phases of lockdown, um, as we were kind of responding and you know putting together masks and getting that to people or putting together uh, initial hampers and getting that to people or getting together on Zoom. There, there, there was kind of like a rallying together, uh, even nationally, uh, uh, a kind of a camaraderie. People were, it was, <laughs> there was almost an element of excitement about mm. what was going on. But a year later, it does seem as if we've hit um, some fatigue. You know, we, we, we are. We are we, we're fatigued. We've been having to do this for 322 days. It is difficult, and we are feeling it financially ourselves. It is impacting us in so many diverse ways. And, and I wonder if, as the excitement has waned, um, so has um, the the opportunities well the opportunities have actually grown and and maybe people are are, are less inclined um, to run to the front line in order to take care of the needs of the saints that they they serve amongst nine and maybe just to remind you as as listeners uh, today that there is an obligation to your family you are obligated uh, in terms of this relationship that you have with Jesus Christ to take care of the needs of your immediate family um, and then you know after that the needs of your church family are, are important this is how we demonstrate to a watching world the love of Jesus Christ the one and others uh, as Dave spoke about uh, towards the end yeah. I, I just want to peel the circle back um, one step more Dave and and you've already began to 
touch on uh, schools and and outreach and um, but even before we go there i i just want to talk about the relationship that that churches and christians in a local church would have w- with christians more broadly and with churches you know maybe maybe a little bit beyond their uh, their reach and uh, I think Midrand Chapel is a good example of a church which has really reached out and um, beyond just the local church and has reached out to other churches whether that be you know churches in Gauteng that you have connections with and even further afield um, what, what kind of onus or responsibility do we have um, towards Christian families whose, whose needs might be more distant than than the immediate local church in which we are gathered uh, can you think of examples or, or 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 churches that you have partnered with yeah you know i think as as a as you know and you were part of it we're a planting church yes and so the churches that we've been involved and partnered with in a plant plant either planting or strengthening outreach and ministry to those churches we obviously that's one of the the next circles Mm. from our church and it's almost blended into our church circle Mm. but we need to be supporting the people of those other churches Mm. particularly those who are in leadership within those churches particularly where it's a very small church and uh, maybe doesn't have the 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 needed uh, financial support at that at an early stage we have an obligation to support those churches as well Mm. and to help them build to being sustainable churches Mm. and obviously to their members as well well, when we come back after a brief break, uh, we are going to be listening to a song, Amazing God, by Lincoln Bruce, Brewster as we come up with uh, 10 o'clock. When we come back after a brief break, uh, we will continue the, the discussion regarding the church, the local church's interaction with churches just beyond uh, their borders. Well, you are listening to Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit with me, Mark Penrith and Teppo Pitzel. Uh, we are both from Crystal Park Baptist Church mm-hmm. and we are speaking today with Dave Brown. Dave is from JAM and we are interacting, engaging on the topic uh, of how the church and the church's response uh, to a broken world with special emphasis on mercy ministry. Mm. For the last uh, hour we have been discussing kind of concentric circles of Mm. obligations or biblical directives commendations to exercise mercy ministry we started Mm. by talking about uh, the command to exercise mercy ministry to our immediate families Mm. Um, we then discussed uh, the church the local church that we are part of Uh, and right now we're talking about well how do churches respond to the needs that they see Mm. uh, in other churches or with other believers uh, beyond their boundaries beyond their borders of the local church that we that we're talking about Uh, and one example that we're speaking about is how Midrand Chapel as a church has been interacting with churches that they have been planting. Uh, Dave, I kind of cut you off uh, mid-sentence as we came up for 10 o'clock. Maybe you just want to return there. Uh, You as Midrand Chapel have been been engaging uh, with the needs of the churches that you have been planting. Uh, Crystal Park is one of those churches, which is why I know about that. But maybe just, you know, just describe what that looks like, what that engagement looks like to one degree or another. 
Sure, thanks, Mark. Um, that engagement is, uh, the one part of it is certainly spiritual support, praying for those churches, uh, ministering to the needs of the leaders within those churches. Mm. And the other aspect is financial support, where the churches are, if you like, unsustainable financially because of their state of growth or early years of, their ch of the church. Mm. And there we have done whatever we can to try and assist on that financial basis. So there are two supports, the financial support, but also the the spiritual support of, of those individuals and just practical support, chatting to them, understanding their needs, counseling, coaching, guiding as well. Mm, mm, no, excellent. Well, well, let's then peel the, the onion one further, one further uh, rung Back, I think I just used rung. That's trees. What do onions have? <laughs> okay, rings. well, the, the rings. Yeah, let's just yeah. let's just peel it. <laughs> thanks, guys. It's thanks, strange, guys. It's a strange onion because we started in the center. Yeah, no, I, I realize this metaphor isn't working exactly like I intended it, but you know, I started and uh, yeah. So uh, on the outer on the outer circle, mm. we have the needs of non-christians in the world and and the bible isn't silent about this mm. y y you know we 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 maybe started and focused where we had command and that's right with our mm -hmm. with our family and then we went out to our local church and then we went out further to to churches that aren't in our sphere just like we see in the bible um you know the gentile churches looking forward to the needs of the poor commended in Galatians chapter 2 and um, and in what C Corinthians Paul speaking about the needs of the church in Jerusalem and how the Gentile churches can respond to that mm. but but one step further out would be the needs the the very practical needs of non-Christians in the world mm. uh, that the church should still be ready to do good uh, to all people um, however we do need to acknowledge that this support is less obligatory than what we owe to Christians and is framed rather in the idea of as opportunity arises mm. and, and I, I do I think of Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 you were talking about it with me in the car as mm. we were as we were coming here and Tepo I'm going to start off with you and then I will bring Dave in because I think Dave can speak quite a bit um, mm. uh, to the needs of 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 the world but 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 what are the kinds of needs that we've seen um, even even in the community where we serve and and how are some of the ways that we can serve those needs okay so um, first thing that came to mind was when talking about the out well not well <laughs> Let me not say not believers, but the outer circle. So I think of where we evangelize. Um, so we go to schools during the week and then there's a local clinic as well. So firstly, um, just to underline why we do mercy ministries, because obviously um, it's because of Christ, right? Uh, so, so mercy ministry is intended to put Christ on display. And so um, with with the gospel going out um, and uh, the needs being met of others, we, we make sure that the needs are not met without Christ. So as they as they as they receive whatever they receive from us, um, us helping them out of uh, whatever situation, 
that goes out with the message that Christ cares. And so um, just thinking about um, the schools that we evangelize at, um, we had we had masks. So the masks that David was talking about and mm. sanitizers. Mm. So they, they made their way to Crystal Park Baptist Church and we were able to give to the school. But the giving is is not just giving as like a social relief, uh, but it's that it's driven by our love for people um, because we are Christians. And so we did the, a similar thing for the nurses at Crystal Park. What, what do you, what, what's the, the, the right name? The clinic. The, the clinic. Sa- yeah. Crystal <laughs> the, the Park satellite. Clinic. I was looking for the satellite. Well, it's not a satellite clinic anymore. They okay. have upgraded. I mean, that is now right. a fully functional clinic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So the Crystal Park, uh, clinic. So we also evangelized there as well. And so with, with with the relationship that we have there with them, we are able to say thank you for all the work that you've been doing during this difficult time, sacrificing your life, sacrifice. Well, knowing that maybe you might get infected, helping others, and we we were able to partner with them and just give them a token of appreciation for the work that they do, and that's basically compassion. And this is to people who we may or may not know are Christian, but when we go there and we give them um, something to help them or to say thank you, it goes with the message of Christ. Mm. Um, we don't leave there without sharing a word. Uh, we don't leave there without even asking to pray for them. Mm. And so the, the 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 motivation behind all of that is Christ. So if I'm hearing you correctly... We're saying that there is a motivation to mercy ministry, a motivation yeah. to mercy ministry as it extends even to those that are closest to us. Yes. Um, we are saved and therefore we take care of our family. We are yeah. saved and therefore we love the community that God has put us in. We, we are saved and therefore we have thoughtfulness about Christians that are even beyond our local church. Mm-hmm. But what you've now raised is as we go into our suburb, as we go into our community, as we go to the school, and the clinics and even the police station because yes. we go there as yes. well. Uh, we had the police using our facilities a couple of months ago because yeah. they needed to fumigate their facilities and mm-hmm. so they used the church as a charge office. As we engage with our community in, in all of these acts of mercy, mercy serves the gospel. Yeah. The gospel doesn't serve the mercy. There you go. Okay. Mercy serves the gospel. We lead with the word. We yes. lead with the word. Yeah. Our desire is to see our city saved. Our desire is to see our suburb, the 24,000 souls mm-hmm. in Crystal Park or the 250,000 souls in Benoni. Yeah. We want to see them put their faith and their trust in God. And as we go out into the world and show the love of Christ Mm. to the world, we know that we get opportunities to say that Jesus died for sinners just Mm. like them and just like us, Mm. that he rose from the grave in power and victory over death and over sin and over the evil one. And the call on them is to repent for the forgiveness of their sins. Yeah. So so just just thinking about that, um, if all we did was offer relief, temporary relief at that, then we're not doing them any good because there's eternal relief that they can get, which is salvation. Mm, because mm. if, if I mean, people are suffering and we we help them with, uh, let's say, food parcels or we help them with whatever need that they have. But 
that's not really helping them in their eternity. So we we actually want to see them saved so that they would have a life or an afterlife without pain, without further suffering, because there's a place called hell and that's conscious uh conscious suffering for eternity, which is what we're trying to help them get saved from. Mm. So uh, as we think through how mercy ministry can serve the word, can serve the gospel message, I, I, I just think of the most practical mercy ministry that we have in our church, which is we store porridge at the church and anyone who's hungry that comes to the church door, mm. we are able to provide them with food. And, mm. and that goes out to a very wide range of people. Mm. Um, it goes out to to families that have fallen on hard times that have mm. no connection with the church. It goes out to school children that, that walk to school from a neighboring township of Daviton and then walk home and sometimes haven't had food on the way to school and won't eat food uh, even that evening. Mm. They're able to come into church and they're able to make porridge for themselves. But even in that very simple act of compassion, of kindness, of mercy, um, it gets given with an invite to come to church Mm. because our church isn't for the wealthy it isn't for those who have their lives together it isn't for the for those who can drive to church it's 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 for sinners Mm. (laughs) primarily that Mm. need salvation and Mm. it's for those who are saved that they might grow in their knowledge and their love of christ um and and for those who are unable to come to church because of geographic proximity um it comes with conversations about who god is and, and what god has done and why we are doing this mm. and even uh, like for instance you mentioned Davidton mm. we mention a church that we partner with in Davidton mm. and so we send them to a church closer to them mm. so I, I want to just add one last circle of need um, we, we've spoken just to recap about those who are nearest to us and that mm. would be that would be people in our own immediate family we've spoken about the local church one concentric circle out our church family Mm. we've spoken about other churches that our church might be connected to and what that mercy ministry might look like and then we've spoken to people who are in our suburb and how we might be able to engage with them recognizing that we're not obligated to do so but as opportunity arises uh, this is something which certainly puts Jesus Christ on display uh, the the last group that i want to talk about is is those who um can be helped by the church um in one way or another um, but it's not so obvious or so immediate, um, but rather that we're in a unique position to mm. help. Um, and so it would be wrong to ignore them. Um, so either God has given us super abundance mm. and we have the means to assist, um, and then we become aware of the need. Um, and, and so even on a conscience level, um, there is an obligation to help them. It would be wrong not to assist them. It would be wrong not to help them. Um, and that might be a complete stranger. 
um, with no prior affiliation or acquaintance, no closeness at all. Mm. Um, but they just can't be ignored. And, and now, I mean, to come back to you read the parable of the Good Samaritan right at mm. the beginning. Yeah. Uh, that seems to be the point of that parable, right? Uh, I mean, people walk past mm-hmm. the man that has been robbed, the man that was mm-hmm. on his way back to Jerusalem, you know, probably to go and offer sacrifices at the temple. Um, the people that walked past him had a connection to him. I mean, they were mm. like a Levite and a, and a priest. And, you know, there was a religious or a national connection to this man. But the man that walked past and actually did something was a Samaritan. He had absolutely no connection <laughs> to this man whatsoever. In actual fact, nationally, these people would have been considered enemies of one another Mm. and yet he places the man on his own donkey takes him to an inn gives the innkeeper his own money charges the ink well i think he first binds the man's uh, wounds himself if i remember the story correctly with uh, with wine and Mm. and bandages takes him to the inn charges the innkeeper to take care of the needs of the man and says to the innkeeper listen yeah if this isn't sorted out by the time i get back Mm. i'll come back and pay whatever whatever additional amounts are required the point being that this man had no closeness to him, but because of proximity, because of circumstances, it would have been wrong for him to ignore him. And, and Jesus putting him forward as the case in point um, gives us a startling example of what it is to be a neighbor. Um, a neighbor is one who shows mercy to another in the words of Christ at the end of that parable, uh. which really brings us to, to the world. And the needs of the world, recognizing that that the needs are probably greater that, than any one of us <laughs> has to to take care of. Um, but as we become aware of the needs, where we are able to assist, you know, with with God's help and with mm. God's provision, and in the abundance that He has given us, we are to assist. We aren't to ignore it as if the only obligations we have are to our immediate family, Dave. What are some of the needs that are out there? Because this is an area that 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 you uh, serve, that you that you work in, that you have um, given the last uh, number of years of your life to, and, and and maybe just describe what what Jam is as an organisation, who Jam is, and a little bit of history of Jam, uh, and then let's talk about some of the needs that that exist even in South Africa and beyond today. Sure, thanks, Mark. Yeah, so, so Jam was founded in 1984 when our founder, a man named Peter Pretorius, uh, he had come to know the Lord, and he was a farmer in the White River Nelspruit area, and he had a desire to take the gospel to the people of Mozambique. Mm. At the time, Mozambique had a Marxist government and would not provide access for any evangelism. Peter knew Mozambique pretty well, and he managed to, with the government, go in to have a look at the needs that they have because they were suffering of a terrible drought and famine. And in Mozambique, he had an experience of being, um, uh, he was he was stranded there for 10 days with no food, no water, seeing about 30 people dying per day in a, in a, a displacement camp have no food, no water, many of the children and people, very little clothing, no shelter whatsoever. And he committed to the children of Mozambique and the children of Africa. And that's where 
the evangelism started turning into humanitarian aid. So we started operations in Mozambique, taking food into Mozambique. We ended up building a life center, as it was called there, which included a clinic. Uh, we built an orphanage for the children who had lost their parents because parents fed their children first. And they were the first to die in those families from starvation. Mm. Then we expanded from there because of the link with uh, uh, Port the Portuguese-speaking uh, countries. We expanded from there to Angola, where Jam was invited to also assist there during the Civil War. We then, in 1994, so 10 years after founding, we were asked to assist in Rwanda after the genocide. And there we worked with about 12,000 displaced children who had been uh, separated from their families and communities. We ended up building a very large orphanage there. Those children are now young adults back in integrated into society. We started working in Sudan at the time of there was a civil war between North and South Sudan. We've continued to work in the independent South Sudan right through the, the terrible drought conditions and so on. We work in Uganda. Um, we started working in Sierra Leone as well. And then we work back here in South Africa. And we do a range of work from feeding, in, and that's emergency feeding, through to food security of developing agricultural capability and farms, to we have drilling rigs and we drill boreholes to provide water for communities. We help to improve schools and improve the education through teacher training. So we have a whole range of, of uh, capabilities that we bring, and we do try and work on continually sustainability. In an emergency such as the cyclone now in Mozambique, once again, it's an emergency. People need food and shelter, and that is really an unconditional distribution. But as we move out of that disaster and emergency, we move into a more developmental approach where we expect people to do something and they get paid with food to do that. And that might be as simple as, but as important as, a child attending school. So if we feed in the school, the child will attend school, they'll stay at school, their results will improve. So that's a, a little bit about, uh, about JAM. We feeding, before COVID, we were feeding about 1.3 million people in, in Africa about 120,000 in South Africa. Since the onset of COVID, we've distributed more than 130 million meals to people in Africa and more than 13 million in South Africa. Mm. So that's a, thanks for listening, that's a kind of jam as it is overall. Um, the needs, if well, I can go well, to that, well, I mean, globally, just, just, about just even in, even as you're talking, Dave. Sorry, I, I, I'm just you know I'm, yeah. I'm intrigued, and questions are coming into my mind. Um, I, I'm also looking at Facebook and on WhatsApp, and I see a number of questions are coming in now. Um, uh, Merle is is talking about the kinds of feeding that you're talking about, and Benny as well. He's been engaging on Facebook. Uh, a number of posts is talking about uh, about feeding, uh, just particularly to jam you, you 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 put down you put down two huge numbers i mean you were feeding um 120,000 people if i heard you correctly and um, before covid and then since covid you you gave a number of meals that you've gone which went into the millions 
what is a what does a meal look like uh, in terms of what people eat? what does a person need to eat um uh, uh, in a day what is what does a jam meal look like what, what are we talking about in terms of in terms of this particular feeding okay i'm going to separate that into two things the mm. the preschool children that we feed about 120,000 mm. that we feed in preschools we give them a daily um, ration of a highly nutritious pre-cooked porridge that gives them about 72% to 75% of their daily nutritional requirements. Mm-hmm. And that's the porridge that you guys are using at Crystal Park for your outreach to the community. Mm-hmm. So it's highly nutritious. It can be used for food for adults and children. And I can say that both uh, Tepo and myself have eaten it, um, particularly when um, school kids have come around uh, from time to time they will I'll be in my study and they will um, knock on the gate and they will come in and make uh, lunch for themselves and I'll go through and eat with them so that we can have something of a conversation and uh, and it kind of tastes now look I wasn't big on porridge um, mm. when I was a kid but it kind of tastes like the porridge that I used to eat when I was you know like a kid kid mm. uh, I mean it it's got the, it, it, it's like a pro-neutro-y kind of consistency um, and it's got a little bit of sugar in there as well if I remember correctly yeah that's right it's got a little bit of sweetener in it as well and it has a flavoring as well now that's tra- so yeah now that uh, porridge that a is good memory of porridge you'd eaten <laughs> <laughs> I'm not big on porridge I'm more of a bacon and eggs guy but um, I, I, I you know I, I uh, you know, porridge is porridge. So I, I ate. I will eat it when you know. When in Rome, you do as the Romans do, and <laughs> and uh, and it's no it's no hardship to sit down and eat food with uh, with kids that literally don't have another meal in their day. Mm. Um, it's no hardship to sit down with them and to see smiles on their faces as they're eating. They're enjoying what they're what they're having. Um, Dave, Dave, just just in terms of it, uh, you you spoke about nutritional value and seventy five percent of the nutritional need. Now I'm just thinking of that the the red bowl that you guys traditionally use, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I think I used to see that at a couple of the organisations that I shopped from. Um, it would be on display that they were supporting um, an organisation that used this red bowl. Um, yeah, is that is that what what kids are using is that what they associate with their food as well um how does this work in a in a in a in a crash are you guys you know providing the food and then uh, uh they it gets cooked there by the staff um uh, how, how does that all work what does it look like on any given day so when we take on a preschool, uh, we supply the preschool with enough red bowls for all of the children in the school. We also provide mixing bowls for the children, uh, for the preschool, for them to prepare their food, uh, pots for preparing the water if it needs to be boiled, uh, if it's not a great water supply, and then spoons for the children to use to eat out of that bowl. And that red bowl has become an icon of jam. We Mm. provide that to every school that we feed in uh, throughout all of our African operations, as well as here in South Africa. How can... How can folk get connected with what you're doing? So, so let's say that that you know someone's listening today and they're and they're thinking through Mercy Ministry and they're thinking through of their response 
to the current crisis that people are facing in the country, the current needs that exist in the country, and and they want to get involved from one way or the other. What what are some of the ways that people uh, could get involved uh, in this as a mechanism for Mercy Ministry? Yeah, well, number one for us is praying for our ministry. Mm. We're a faith-based organization, as you would have heard, and so prayer is absolutely vital. God provides in the most incredible ways. Mm. He does the impossible. Then for feeding preschool children, which is our regular mode of operation in South Africa, to feed a child is 50 rand per month. So for 50 rand a month, the child gets a bowl of that porridge every day in their preschool. Um, We had to shift at the beginning of COVID to feeding families. So our focus was the parents of the children, poverty-stricken children that we normally fed. And we started the distribution of family food parcels. And that was a parcel that was designed together with Department of Social Development as a standard in South Africa for for food parcels. And we can provide that food parcel for 400 rand. And that provides food for a family of four for one month. So those are two ways in which people can support. They could visit jamsa.co.za. That's our website. And there are details on that website as well um, on on how they can donate and support it. Now, in churches, we do partner with some churches where we supply, like, for example, you guys get the porridge from us that you distribute. We have some churches where they have taken on preschools within their community to support, and they fund us from the church and obviously from the members of the church at the 50 rand per child per day for those particular preschools. Quite often, then, they take on those preschools and look to some of the other infrastructural needs of the preschool to improve the structures of them, to help with the educational toys and uh, things that they need within those preschools, and in some cases, training of the caregivers to be qualified preschool teachers. Hmm. So, Dave, uh, I, I'm just listening to everything that you've said, and uh, you've given the details for Jam, how people can get in contact with you guys uh, and can follow up with you. Uh, I'm just thinking that there, there might be, uh, so that would be how listeners in their own personal capacity would want to engage. Uh, you have given a mechanism for churches. I, I just want to bring Tepo in, because Crystal Park has been uh, utilizing um, porridge for uh, for the for the needs of our community for a number mm. of years now. I was just wondering, Tepo, you you really head the Mercy Ministry at Crystal Park Baptist Church, but you've developed a team of volunteers around you. Mm. A church that maybe wants to get started in this area looks at the suburb that they're in, realizes that there is a growing need in the country, that this is a an appropriate expression of the compassion that we have because of Christ who is in us, um, and wants to begin a kind of mercy ministry that can serve a word-based ministry. How might that get started? What would that look like? What are some of the things that you need to think through and, and practically where would you start? Okay. 
So, firstly, I think I think we are able to do it because we are a church, right? So, if, for instance, um, I think for such a ministry, um, just thinking about how it runs at Crystal Park Baptist Church, so people, like for instance, we we have a number of people who would come knocking at the gates, like you mentioned, the school kids, and there are elderly people as well who would come and knock at the gate and ask for food. So that is during the day. So that's one way of um, helping them. So making sure that there's somebody at church. And so the other way is just getting um, volunteers who'd be able to assist uh, those who are in need and uh, just avail themselves for this type of ministry. And also, I think we shouldn't shy away from asking for volunteers mm. in the church. You'd be surprised how many people raise their hands because yeah. <laughs> people have constantly been coming back to me um, saying, when are you doing this? When can we come and help you pack the boxes? Or when can we do this? And yeah, it, even even the volunteering is overwhelming because yeah. now I need to keep track or keep record of who are all the people who've come to me so so yeah i think i think just make the ministry available announce it um ask for volunteers and you'll be surprised as to how many people actually have the heart to serve um people in that way mm-hmm. i mean just just in terms of it uh, we 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 recognized at the beginning of covid there mm. was quite a large new Need in the suburb? Uh, have you have you noticed that the need seems to have tapered off uh, over the course of uh, of three hundred and twenty two days of lockdown, uh, or is it that maybe people are less able to uh, are less mobile and are getting around less and are coming to the church less uh, in in order to to express the need? So and now we're talking about people in the suburb. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, it's tapered down a bit, but I, I, I may not be sure of what the reason is. Mm. Maybe I don't know. Like yeah, but but when they when they see when they see our cars at mm. the church, <laughs> then they will then they will call. So yeah, I, and I can't remember. Well, there there were times where we we weren't going into church. Um, which might have been well, which might be one of the reasons they were like, okay, maybe let's stay away. Maybe they're not there yes. yet. Yeah. So, but um, yeah. So I'm I'm not sure. Maybe maybe also it's the easing of the restrictions that they're able to go and do their car guarding jobs and are able to get food. Mm. Um, and so yeah, I think yeah. Long long time listener to resource. Yes, David. Can I come in? Yeah, of course you can. Can I come in on that? What we're experiencing as JAM is we are getting an ever-increasing request from people for assistance. Yeah, mm. We're getting it from preschool owners throughout the country that they're really battling to get their preschools open again. Sure. The Department of Social Development have placed restrictions on them, obviously for the safety of the children, mm. and many of them can't meet that, so we've developed um, early childhood development readiness kits which get them reopened but we have so many individuals just contacting us and saying we're in need I'm a family of six we are not able to eat we can't support ourselves and many unfortunately of those needs we just cannot meet we do not have the uh, funding available for that Mm. so we feel like 
with the with the more than 13 million meals that we've distributed during lockdown we're only scratching the surface mm. we really are not getting sufficient out there mm. and so there's a desperately growing need out there in the communities as people have exhausted completely their savings mm. they are still unemployed they have not managed to get back to work mm. i uh uh, we we got a we got a question from a long time listener, and I, I think this is more aimed at Tepo. Um, so shout out to Teresa who engages uh, each week with us. He he actually asked a number of questions. We we can't go through all of them now. However, the last one that he asks is how can the church also protect herself um, from people who simply try their luck versus people who genuinely have needs? <laughs> so I mean, Tepo, you part of the. The, the machinery at Crystal Park Baptist Church. How, yeah. how do we go about evaluating if something's a need or if someone's, you know, trying their luck? So, um, so I'm trying to let's let's first let's first get context here. These are are these non-believers or people from outside? Let's just say either way. Either way. Okay. So so obviously discernment is very important, right? And how one person discerns uh, as opposed to another <laughs> differs so i think i think with the information that you have at your disposal that's how you would discern if somebody is really trying their luck and also um for instance i'll, I'll think of uh cases um so i'll mention I'll, i'm not going to mention a name or a church so for instance they 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 are people who would abuse uh the church um in terms of um asking for assistance and eventually when you when you when you when you come to um just maybe let's say one person talks to another and now you 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 realize that this person is asking 10 people at the same time yeah and maybe just to give just just to underline what you're saying we, yeah. we're saying a person would come to crystal park and ask for assistance mm-hmm. and then we'd go you know down the road to north meet baptist or yeah. across the street to god first or you know they hit the methodist church and mm-hmm. kind of like on monday get this from one church and on tuesday get this yeah. from another <laughs> church and it eventually is is actually you know basically performing a, a lucrative uh, scheme of yeah. uh, soliciting <laughs> as much as they can from as many organizations as you can yeah well well that's resolved by by the fact that we have relationships with yes. the churches in our yes. city yeah and they have relationships with us so yeah. we, we highlight those things yeah and and even let's say members in the church so so for instance let's say it's me i come mm. to you yeah. i go to warren i go to whoever and yes. i'm constantly asking you guys for the same help yeah. and i'm getting help from all of you so that's also abuse so so i think um in in such cases then mm. you're able to say actually this person is being abusive mm. so you you can actually sit them down and mm. and just talk to them and say look what you do heart issue yeah. yes this is this is not this is not how you go about it if you want assistance come to and and actually the diaconate can so because those are the people that would actually look after the needs of the church but in this case i would have the conversation with the people and say okay look this is how we're going to help you and you need to come to me as the medium for your help here at church and so i think that's how we'd protect the church so i think you have raised something that is just really worth chatting about mm-hmm. um in, in terms of 
how mercy is distributed in the context of our local church and mm-hmm. um, with the Bible in mind uh, we look at um, 1 Timothy chapter 5 yeah and in there you see Paul's conversation with Timothy he is on the island of um, I'm gonna say Ephesus no that's not an island that's a city is yeah. is yeah I think I think Timothy is in is in Asia Minor he's, he's in, in Ephesus, Ephesus yeah. uh, when in 1 Ephesus. Timothy is written and, and Paul is speaking to him he gives him a whole series of how to con you know choose leadership in the church and he mm. goes through a number of things uh, and then he talks uh, at length about relationships in the church and mm. one of the relationships that he talks about is well how do you engage with widows in the church and he mm. spends almost an entire chapter mm. talking about widows and and one of the things that he talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 5 is, is this is this widows list that mm. exists and yeah. he gives <laughs> criteria of yeah. how widows can get on the, the list 60. you know they, they need to be older ladies mm. That you know that are unable to assist themselves, and and yeah. they make this list. In other words, there is a formalized mercy ministry within the con, or at least Paul is advocating for a formalized mercy ministry mm. within the context of the local church, so that the kinds of abuses that Teresa is highlighting in his in his question, mm. how can a church protect herself from people who simply are trying their luck? Mm. That kind of abuses are are. Are, are navigated away from and um, by having a formalized yeah. mercy ministry within the context of a local church and in our context either having a, a deacon that is responsible mm. for mercy ministry uh, or in our case a, a member of staff who mm. actually holds the physical list these are the people who are receiving this kind of support in our church yeah. um, and compiling that and then being accountable to the elders yes. uh, even as the elders are accountable to the church that doesn't mean that everybody gets to hear who gets what mm. in the church no the, the, there's there's a level of privacy yeah. uh, and dignity that we want to afford people that that need to be recipients of mercy and so mm. we're not telling the church you know xyz received the mm. following hamper mm. of food uh, we're saying you know 20 yeah. families were assisted in the church uh, last month um, but what we are doing is we're saying 20 families were assisted by the church in the last month we are maintaining a list of who those 20 are mm. people come onto it and people go off of it and the person responsible for that is Tepo if you have any questions he is accountable to mm. the elders and the elders <laughs> receive that information yeah yeah you know I mean Mark, yes Mark, brother Mark, can I just come in on that one yeah because I th- I think it's it's a real issue in the church mm. of ensuring that we are building into the life of the person that we're helping, not only meeting their physical needs with mm. food and whatever else it should be, but getting to know them, building a relationship with them from that really understanding them and their situation as mm. well. Mm. Because then we can minister to them in so many ways. And from that, it will then become apparent you know, mm. so if I can just relate one experience we had in a church of an individual who was asking the church for help, but it soon became apparent we're going to, and asking every member for help as well. Mm. And and so that's something really dangerous. But as a church, you need to be talking about it. Mm. And people, the members of the church, need to know that those requests that come to them should be channeled through your mercy ministry yes. or your compassionate ministry or whatever you call it. Because then you can centralize it. You can start understanding. Mm. Mm. Otherwise, we start spreading too 
too much to too few people mm. um, and we become victims of this whole situation that people are you seeing it as an opportunity not something that they really are desperate for mm. look we we raise even as we're talking so we, we're now talking some of the practicalities of a church-based mercy ministry but but we also raise th- this very important topic of dignity um, dignity of the individuals that we are reaching out to dignity of those whom we are assisting and, and the need to 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 do all this that we are doing um, in a way which does build people up and ultimately um, Tepo you were talking previously about just the desire to come next to people in their hour of need but not mm. but not so in, a, in a way that creates dependency yeah. um, but rather in a way which assists them so that they can continue mm. on with whatever they need to do Dave it's been a really interesting topic and it's a pertinent topic it's the it's a it's a topic of our day and i imagine it's going to be a topic going forward uh, that we are going to need to address within the context of churches and in the context of local christians in terms of their responsibilities to families to mm. local churches uh, and beyond um, more and more um, as uh, as financial pressures are felt uh, in the context of our community so so thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us thank you for sharing uh, some of the stories and some of the knowledge that you have really appreciate uh, uh, interacting with you brother thank you so much guys thank you um, you know just the one thing I've found over the last short while is I have more and more churches who have been approaching me and asking for assistance in terms of how they structure their mercy ministry. Mm. What are some of the do's and don'ts? Mm. So people really are grappling with it. And I think it would be really great if um, I'm in Crystal Park together with Midrand and others, if we could just help others. Mm. Um, We're all still learning in this process, but maybe we can accelerate the learning of some other churches. So thank you so much for the time. I really do appreciate it. And God bless you both. Enjoyed the interaction. Thank you. Paul, in closing, any any last uh, any last notes that you want to make? Based on the subject. Yes. <laughs> so I think I think the the one incident that we may not have touched on uh, particularly, but which is what we see with the Good Samaritan. So what happens if you meet somebody um, who is in in a desperate situation? Say somebody was in a car accident or their wheels have run flat so 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 that's 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 a that's a difficult thing um in the moment right mm. uh but there are there are more compelling cases if a car's just rolled over do you stop and help and so i think i think there are cases like that where where you'd be able to help um with without even having to say uh, like david said you don't have to uh first uh get through all the circles until you get to the last one so like that particular one is urgent it's right now you do help in such a case let's Mm. say it's a woman who's stuck on the side of the road who can't change a tire Mm. what do you do you help so yeah so that's that's basically um i think one thing that we didn't touch on which is like a the good samaritan story um that jesus touched on well uh, even as we talk on these things recognizing that we're coming to the end of the hour just looking forward to the next uh, couple of weeks the Mm -hmm. kinds of topics that we're going to be talking about 
Uh, next week, you and I are going to talk about discipleship. Yeah. Um, discipleship under lockdown. How are some of the mechanisms that we've seen used to disciple mm. in the local church and between believers, um, even in the midst of just the craziness that our world has offered us over 2020 and 2021. I'm mm. looking forward to that conversation because I'm hoping it will be very practical yeah. um, mechanisms for people to use even in their own relationships with Christian friends mm. uh, and with family. Um, and then in two weeks' time, we will be talking about adoption, um, mm. particularly with an organization called Open Homes, mm-hmm. um, uh, good friends of ours, uh, Sofiso and Gelgelo Pule, and the good work that they are doing mm. uh, in the context of adoption. We're going to be talking about adoption uh, and some of the mechanisms that are available uh, to believers for adoption. We're going to be talking about some of the underlying principles, biblical principles mm-hmm. uh, of adoption. And why this is important in South Africa, what is the need and how we can as Christians respond to it. Uh, and then also developing adoption um, ministries within the context of our local church, whether that be uh, pregnancy crisis centers um, or uh, adoption advocacy campaigns and, and opportunities, how you can make people in your local church uh, aware of that. So looking forward to that in two weeks time even as we come up to the close of the show this uh, this morning our prayers do go out to all the elders and deacons holding the line mm. in local churches uh, recognizing that you are serving in unprecedented times having to use social media and mm. live streaming to edify the saints with teaching, having to figure out how to do worship in the context of digital streaming, and then, you know, great joy having the church back in the house of the Lord from last Sunday and going forward, but figuring how to serve folk that can't yet get back to church. And mm. our thoughts and our prayers do go out to you, and do trust that uh, the listeners are praying for the local ministries where they serve as well as for missionaries serving in foreign fields. Um, You know, I think uh, at times where there's hardship at home, sometimes we take our eyes off what is happening abroad. Uh, And in moments like that, um, missionaries do struggle. Uh, They need financial support, but they also need uh, love and prayer and interactions with uh, home churches. So please do not forget your missionaries over this time. Mm. We also want to remember and pray for and give much respect to the first responders, um, the police, the firefighters, the paramedics, correctional service officers. I think of the number of nurses and doctors, even in our own local church, who are under immense pressure. Uh, over this period as they serve our nation with excellence our hearts go out to them you've been listening to table talk with me your host mark Uh, we're going to be going to news shortly but uh, in the interim uh, go with god and get after it